Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. So today we are going to pick up in our story in the book of Genesis chapter 13. So Genesis 13, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Our study last week proved to us that there really wasn't anything special about Abraham in and of himself that made him capable of having faith. As a matter of fact, based off of what we studied, uh, it might even seem like he really didn't have a whole lot of faith at least not yet, not at the time. In reality, God was using these tests in Abram's life to mold him into the great man of faith that we read about not too far from here uh, in our story there in Genesis chapter 12. God is using the circumstances that surround us, just like Abram. He's using those circumstances to mold us and to shape us into what he needs for us to be. As long as we remain moldable, workable, teachable, then we too, we can be used like Abram. Maybe not to make a nation, but we can still be used mightily by God. So I encourage you, if you weren't here for last week's study, then go back and study Genesis 12, read through it and recognize, listen, Abraham wasn't perfect, neither are we. We also can make a difference for the cause of Christ, even though we also fail. This morning, we're going to pick up in Genesis 13, just after Pharaoh had kicked Abram out of Egypt for his deceit, one of the things that we talked about last week. So Genesis 13, verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. Once again, that word the south there is referring to a region, the Negev. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto a place where his tent had been in the beginning, between Bethel and Hai unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram returns to Egypt with Lot. Uh, Scripture makes sure to make sure that we recognize that Lot is with him, probably because of the events that are just about to happen here in just a moment. But it is near Bethel that Abram once again calls upon the name of the Lord. At this point, it seems as if Abram has gotten right with God, or at the very least, he's reconnected with God. He made some mistakes that we studied last week, and now he's, he's, he's been kicked out of Egypt. I mean, he left Canaan because of a famine. He went to Egypt so that he could live. We have no word that this famine is over, and now he's headed right back to where the famine was. So we see there's some consequences to Abram's decisions while he was in Egypt. Now he comes back And the first thing that he does is he goes right back to the altar. He wants to get right with God. And that's very, very important for us to recognize as we see here. And that's that's basically where we left off last week. Now, let's pick up in the story in verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? 
Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plains of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So up until this point in the story, it probably seemed to both Abram and Lot that they had a really good thing going. Remember, the way that the world worked during this point in time, unlike the cavemen and other evolutionary ideas that Hollywood likes to push our way, people who lived during this time were very intelligent. Um, as Pastor talked about a number of weeks ago, the people, the city of Ur, archaeologists have found evidence of actual plumbing, both in and out. Um, we know the Egyptians, they were very intelligent. They, they were full-blown chemists. They had batteries that were working 4,000 years ago. The, the pyramids of Giza had already been built before Abram was even born. So they were very intelligent, smart people in the world. That wasn't really an, an ongoing issue, perhaps, for Abram as he was traveling through these lands. What was really different about the world in this day is the fact that it wasn't very populated yet. Um, Abram lived about 2000 BC, which puts him about 1,800 years after the events of the flood and the Tower of Babel and the dispersion that happened because of that. Where Abram came from in the city of Ur is very likely to have been pretty close to where the Tower of Babel actually would have been, um, according to what we know. Obviously, we don't know everything. There's no map given to us in Scripture. But based off of the reading of Scripture and archaeology, it's very close to expected that that might be the case. So if that's true, we recognize that Abram, he lived in a time where nations were not understood quite the same way that we do today. Now, there were some nations, um, Egypt being a really good example of this. They were a nation like we understand. They were an empire. They were very intelligent. They were very strong. Uh, they, they really represented the world effectively in this point of scripture. But Everything else that surrounded it from basically the Persian Gulf all the way to the Mediterranean was full of what we would call city-states. So each city represented its own government. It had its own king. It had its own army. It had its own way of life. There were kings for each of these places. That was their kingdom, their, their city. That's where they dwelled. And anybody who was close by was under their influence. That's the way that things worked. That also was true for nomadic peoples as well. So in the case of a nomadic group like Abraham's would have been, their structure was also very similar, but it was very patriarchal. So the oldest male in the prominent family line would have been the one who was in charge. He would have been king effectively for his group. Uh, I think that's interesting. Perhaps is that why God called Abram out of his father's house. Because remember, if, if it is truly a patriarchy and that's what you're following, then that means Abram has to submit to dad before God, in a sense. That's where his eyes would have been. His eyes would have been pushed forward to dad. Or maybe if he had an older brother who became the heir of everything, he would have been the one that was in charge. His eyes would have been looking forward at this earthly figure where God wanted his eyes to go upward, to look at him for direction. I think that might be very interesting as, as perhaps a reason that it was so important that Abram leave his father's house and follow God exclusively. And then, of course, we see Lot follow him as well. 
Um, we don't really see that that is a big conflict until now. What, what, what is going to be taking place right here is the first time that there's an issue. Um, as these nomadic people were traveling, to have a larger group would have been security. I mean, that, they were basically helping each other out, making sure that they weren't easy targets for other groups as they were passing by. They gave them strength and security. But now, for the first time, we see some negative effects. We've got Abram and Lot being together here, and now they're both growing in wealth. And as is somehow typically the case, as the wealth grows, the problems start to grow as well. And that's exactly what's happening for them. All of Lot's servants were probably looking to Lot, their king, to try to give Lot's herds preference in where they ate, what fields they went to, when, when they had access to water. They were trying to prioritize Lot's goods, his herds. Whereas all the herdsmen for Abram were probably doing the exact same thing. And now they're butting heads. They're both trying to go to the same place at the same time and, and they can't get on a good schedule because one wants predominance over the other. And these guys, it wasn't Abram and Lot that had an issue. It was their servants. It was their herdsmen that had an issue. In any other society, if, this, if these were two kingdoms we were talking about, in all reality, that could probably be cause for war. Abram and Lot recognize this and neither of them want this. So now comes the part where Abram has to pay for allowing Lot to join him. Once again, we talked about this last week, there's nowhere that explicitly says it was wrong for Lot to come with him. We can assume that we, God wanted Abram to separate from his father's household for a reason, and he brought some of that household with him, and now is the time he has to pay for that decision. Yeah, according to verse 11, Abram loses the best part of the land, and it seems like a very, very steep price to pay, but it's one that he willingly does. It's one that he willingly pays. What we're going to take some time to look at this morning is the difference between Abram and Lot when it comes to making this decision and a couple of events that follow after this. This is probably one of the primary lessons we can learn through these two chapters, but obviously if you go and read this yourself, you're going to find many other things that we could study and that we could learn. But today we're going to focus on this specific decision, the way that Lot and the way that Abram chose, how they decided how to move forward right here. What we see from Lot is selfishness. We see the price of selfishness. Lot seems to be thinking only of himself when he is posed with this question by Abram. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. We see Lot making decisions that are absolutely going to benefit him. He sees this land that looks perfect. He goes for it. No consideration for Abram at all from what we can read. We recognize that in this day especially, going toward these cities would mean probably more success. There would be more people to barter with. There would be more people for security. There would be more people just in general. And you'd be able to go and make more money, be more successful. He's also going where the fields were green and lush. Remember, they were in a famine. So Lot's like, see ya, Abram. I'm going to the place where it's green. That's where he heads. Meanwhile, Abram, he allows Lot to choose the best land. He doesn't give him any kind of stipulations about, well, I'll let you choose the land as long as it falls under these conditions. He doesn't give him any conditions. He doesn't 
argue with him after he says what he wants. Lot, thinking of himself, he took matters into his own hands, while Abram, thinking of Lot, doesn't even try to manipulate his choice. He simply allows him to choose. And choose he did. Out of selfishness, Lot chose not just a good part of the land, but he chose the best part of the land. Lot's choice is seen there in verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes, beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Even as the garden of the Lord, the garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt. Now, apparently the land of Egypt in this day was a lot different than what it is now. This was 4,000 years ago, after all. So apparently Egypt itself was being regarded as uh, the garden of Eden how lush and green and plentiful that it was. That's the land that Lot is looking at. Lot knows full well what's on the other side of that land. Desert, famine. And he recognizes that if I choose to go this way, Abram said he'll go that way. So instead of choosing a good portion of land, maybe, maybe bordering both land and, or the good land and the bad land, he chooses to go all in for himself. He chooses 100% out of selfishness the best part of the land. If we take this and compare this to a situation in our lives, if we're Abram, we have to ask ourselves, have we ever had someone that we loved, someone that we trusted, take advantage of us? We're not saying that they lied. We're not saying that they stole or that they, they cheated. They just took advantage of us. They recognized that their choice would be great for them, but it would be harmful for me. There was no medium or middle ground here. They recognized what the cost would be for me, and they still chose that way. They took advantage of me. Whether it be a family member or a friend, someone that we work with, the choice that they made would negatively impact us. That's a hard pill for us to swallow. That's something that's hard for us to forget. That's something that's hard for us to forgive. That's what's happening in the life of Abram. But that's not the way that we see Abram take it at all. At this point, Lot is making a self-centered decision. He does not consider Abram. It doesn't seem as if he considers God. There's no reference to him calling on the name of the Lord. There's no reference of him having any conversation or seeking out God whatsoever. He looks at the green grass and says, hey, the grass is greener on the other side. I'm going. And that's exactly what he did. He thinks it's worth it. As I was reading through this, my mind immediately went to Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8. One, probably a passage that most of us are very familiar with. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. When making decisions in our lives, we need to do what Abram did. We must seek God first. We talked about that at length last week, how Abram, after all the mistakes that he made, he came back to a place where he got right with God. And from that point moving forward, the decisions that Abram makes, they're very selfless. They're spot on. Whereas we look at Lot, and we see a very different story. 
We see someone who's caring only about themselves and the things that are going on in their lives. In our lives, we don't have to have everything figured out because God already does. So if that's true, which it is, then why do we lean on our own understanding so much? We know that we're finite. We know that God is infinite. So why do I trust in my own wisdom? Why don't I lean on him for understanding? as the proverb is telling us. Notice also those last phrases in that verse. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. In other words, leaning on God will have a better end result. Literally what it's saying is you'll be healthier. It'll be something better for you when you lean on God, when you trust in him rather than trusting in yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. It will be health to you. It'll be, it'll be better for you to trust in God. This would absolutely prove true in the case of Lot. Lot trusted in himself, and it did not turn out to be very, a very healthy choice for him in the very, very near future. But as we move forward, we need to recognize the selflessness of Abram. So we see Lot in, in contrast to Lot's selfish decision. We see Abram. He makes a very selfless decision. His decision it didn't hinge really on anything that benefited himself. At this point, without saying so explicitly in scripture, at this point, it's as if Abram is fully trusting in God for provision. It seems as if now Abram has the faith that he needed last chapter when he stumbled a couple of times. Abram is now being able to move forward. He's presented with a tough choice. And now he's willing to let God have control over this decision in his life. It's a very selfless approach to what we recognize to be a life-altering decision. Abram, he was probably even happy for Lot. He recognized that where Lot was headed, he's gonna be successful. He's gonna make, he's gonna make money, he's gonna grow, he's gonna grow in wealth, and he may become a nation of his own one day. He recognizes that where Lot is headed should work out well for him. But once again, Abram's just like us. He's finite. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. He has no concept of what's just around the corner. As I was reading through this, my mind went to Matthew 7.12. The Bible says this there, Matthew 7.12, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you, or do ye even so to them. For this is the law and prophets. Abram is doing for Lot what he would really wish Lot would do for him. You've, ever, you've heard the statement, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? The golden rule. Jesus is the one who said that there in the book of Matthew. It, it's ironic. Uh, we, were, we had just gotten married and we were on our first day of the honeymoon. We were traveling through Savannah at a bed and breakfast and we stopped at this place. There was another couple there. We were talking with them uh, about what we were gonna be doing. We were going into ministry, all of those things. And they told us, you know what? We really don't believe in God. We don't believe in the Bible, but we, we try to live by the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I said, hey, I agree with that too. I even know who said that. Did you know Jesus was the one who said that? And the conversation stopped right there because <laughs> they did not want to carry on from there. They recognize culturally in, in our society, there is still roots of Christianity that are dug deep in our lingo and in some of the morality that still exists. That idea of the golden rule, they think it's just cultural to America. No, no, that was God's idea. 
even though Jesus had not made this statement yet, because obviously that statement's in the New Testament, there are similar statements that are also made in the Old Testament, but none of those have come up yet either. Abram is still exhibiting this special command. Effectively, it's the law of love. Uh, just like that, that last phrase there, for this is the law and the prophets. The only other thing that's described like this is that second greatest commandment, to love others as yourself. That's exactly what Abram is doing. At this point in time, Abram is exhibiting the golden rule, the law of love, the royal law, all of that, all the terminology that's used for this in scripture. Abram is exhibiting it very well. And almost immediately after Lot leaves, we see verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land and the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, that's a person, not a place, which is in Hebron, that's a place, not a person, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Sometimes it's important for us to catch names. We're gonna have a number of names here in just a minute that are really hard. You're gonna have to forgive me for some of those. These ones are pretty easy. Mamre is the name of a person who lives in the area of Hebron. That is where Abram is headed. That's where he sets up base camp and is, is gonna be there for quite some time. So right after Lot separates, Lot makes this selfish decision. Abram, he makes a very selfless, wise decision to allow God to be in control. And as soon as he makes that decision, as soon as Lot is gone, God comes back and he reconfirms the promise once again. He tells him, this is the land that I'm gonna give you. You're gonna have descendants. You're gonna have, you're gonna have a nation that's so great it can't even be counted. He's reconfirming the promise for him. Then we see Abram settle there in Hebron, um, not Haran, by the way. Those are two separate places. Haran is way up north in modern day Turkey on the other side of the Euphrates. Hebron is... 20 miles or so from Jerusalem or Salem at this time. So there's a difference between those two places. He's down very central in the area of Israel at this point in time, exactly where God had promised him his land. This time he didn't run to Egypt. He didn't run back to Haran. He didn't go all the way back to Ur of the Chaldees. He's right there where God called him to be in, in Israel, right there in Hebron. So I know there's a lot of storyline that we're covering right now. So I'm gonna do a quick summary before we move on. Abram returns from Egypt. He gets things right with God. Abram and Lot have to separate. We see Lot make a selfish decision. We see Abram make a selfless decision. And then as soon as Lot leaves, God comes to confirm the promise of land to Abram. Now, let's take a look at what happens next. Things get a little complicated, including some of the names that I'm about to read. So um, some of them we'll just have to take our time through as we read through some of these names. All right, Genesis 14, verse one. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemember, king of Zeboidim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All of these were joined together in the vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. 12 years they served Kedor Laomer, and in the 13th year, they rebelled. In the 14th year came Kedorlaomer and the kings that were with him and smote the Rephames in Ashtaroth-Kernam 
and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Emims in Shava Kirtham, and the Horites in their Mount Seir unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to En Mishpat, which is Kadesh. And there they smote all the country of the Amalekites, also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazizan Tamar. And there went out king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma and the king of Zeboijim, the king of Bela, the, name, the same as Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim with Kedolamer, the king of Elam, with Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings with five. And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went, went their way. And they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. A lot going on in that section. So, a lot of names too, sorry. I, I know I slaughtered probably half of those. But talk about retaliation. These kings were under siege, effectively, not siege, but they were under tribute to these other, this other coalition of kings from the north and from the far east. They were bound to pay them certain amounts so that they wouldn't have this happen to them, this retaliation that comes. They decide that they're going to rebel against this coalition of kings, and the coalition, they retaliate pretty hard. So we recognize, based off of archaeology today, that some of these kings mentioned could be as far as the Persian Gulf, all the way where the Tigris and the Euphrates meet. These guys had to travel thousands of miles to get all the way to the Middle East in Israel where it was. So as they're traveling, their response had to be quick. They're coming and they're conquering their entire way. There's 10 different nations that they conquer along their way. By the time they get to Sodom and Gomorrah, they're still going. They get to these kings right here. They've rebelled against them. They meet them head on and they are victorious. And then we see Lot. Lot had no way of knowing that his decision would put him in harm's way. He had no way of recognizing that, that what, was, what he considered to be the best possible decision for him, for his family, would be for him to do what he wanted, for him to go where he could get the most money, where he could, where he could be the safest, and, and according to his understanding, everything was gonna be good. I'm going to the, one of the most powerful city-states, nations that existed at the time. That's where I'm heading Life is good. The grass truly is greener on the other side, and I'm there. Lot had a lot more coming his way than he recognized. His selfish decision puts him directly in harm's way. These, these kings, as they came, they swept Lot right up. Uh, we don't have any understanding that anyone died in this as far as Lot's family is concerned, but all of, all of his stuff and all of his people were taken in this siege, in this conquering from this northern coalition of kings. The only reason that Abram ever hears about this, remember there was no Facebook or YouTube or cell phones, uh, the only reason that Abram ever had an opportunity to even hear about this is what happens next in verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, the brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. They were in alliance together. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, notice there, he doesn't refer to him as his nephew or his brother's son. It's his brother. 
This is, they truly have a deep relationship. His brother was taken captive. He armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Did you hear that? 318 trained military-age men born into his household, not from him, but born within the servants that he had acquired. That's very different than the cartoons that I watched as a kid. I don't know about you. If you watch the cartoons that, that are depicted for us, we see Abraham and Sarah, maybe Ishmael, maybe Eleazar, because he's mentioned. There's like five people in a little Coleman tent over there somewhere in the woods. That's often what's described in our cartoon depiction. This guy had an army, 318 military-aged men. That tells us that there were older men who were not military-aged. There were younger guys who were not military-aged. They probably had wives. They probably had children. There could have been over 1,000 people in Abram's care. It wasn't just his little family. He was, in essence, a king as his entourage passed through Canaan land. He had a way to retaliate, and it's not even just him. These numbers don't reflect his alliance with Aner and Eshkol and Mamre. These guys and all their guys come together too, and immediately they take off. It is at this point that once again we see Abram make another selfless decision. Lot, his decision was to serve himself. He was looking forward for himself, and he thought he had it all figured out. It was a good business plan. He thought it was going to work. Abram allowed God to be in control. And while he dwelled in a place that, you know, he probably thought he could have done better, this is where God wanted me. I'm willing to go. I have faith that God can provide. He makes that decision. Now he hears about Lot who he expected to be happy and where he was and successful, now he's in trouble. And without any hesitation, Lot's response is, or Abram's response is, let's go. We're going to go get him back. Verse 15, and he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Abram had victory over a massive fighting force. This is truly a miraculous feat. Abram was willing to lose it all to show love to his, to his, his brother, as he's described at this point in Scripture. He's willing to do for Lot what we could probably assume Lot would not be willing to do for him if Abram were in the same situation. We don't know. It's not written for us. But nonetheless, based off of the other decisions that he's made, very unlikely that Lot would do the same for Abram. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Abram is exhibiting this once again. Abram returned from Egypt. He got right with God. Ever since then, he has continued to make selfless, loving decisions. And we're gonna see more of this as we continue in this story. Remember that last phrase in the proverb? Trusting in the Lord rather than trying to figure things out for yourself will end up better for you. It will be health to you. It'll bring marrow to your bones, to use the terminology there. Abram didn't recognize how God was going to bless him because of his decision to let God be in control, to be selfless, to allow, 
to allow someone else to have the preference, to have, allow someone else to have the predominance and let God be in control. There's going to be some blessings that come because of that decision. Because of Abram's selfless, selflessness, let's take a look at what happens next. Verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedor Laomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is in the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most high God. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. So after seeing what Abram had done, the kings of Sodom and Salem, they meet Abram effectively to thank him for what he did, right? The king of Salem comes out. This is the priest king Melchizedek, very, very important character in scripture. Uh, We studied him at length a couple of years ago when we went through the book of Hebrews and talked about his role and some of the the figurative nature of who he was, his position, how in a way he was a type of Christ. It's a great study we're not gonna do today, but it's a great study if you ever have time to study the life of Melchizedek. But we see this great priest king. He comes out, he provides for Abram and and, and his army. He's thanking him for what it is that he's done but he also blesses him. He confirms that it was truly God that delivered his enemies into his hand. Think about it. You're Abram. You have given up the best land. You now live in a desert. It's in famine. You think that, well, you know what? I have faith in God, but I also recognize the decision that I made. I gave up something that I would recognize to be good. I gave it to Lot. He asked for it. I told him he could have it. I'm putting my faith in God. Now, once again, a situation comes up where Lot is in trouble. Abram selflessly decides to go to his aid. Once again, proving that him and Lot, they're they're on different pages when it comes to their priorities for each other. Abram is willing to lose everything to restore his brother Lot. Lot clearly not the same. Melchizedek comes and confirms he's speaking from God. This is a a third party, if you will. God could have come to Abram and said, hey, good job. This was the right decision. This was the right thing to do. I'm gonna bless you for it. But instead he uses a priest, Melchizedek, to come and make that same statement. He comes and tells him that, you know what? God's the one who put these, these armies right into your hand. He gave you the victory. This was truly a miracle that God provided for you. Once again, proving to Abram, he made the right choice. Putting his faith in God is always making the right choice. He recognizes that God has given me promises. He can't fulfill any of these promises if I'm dead. I can't go to war and lose and get killed on the battlefield and still somehow manage to start a nation and and, uh, be able to, to move on into Canaan land. All the things that God has been promising to him, none of those things would happen if he died. It wouldn't make sense. God is going to protect him. God is going to give him victory. And Melchizedek is proving this for him, saying God gave you the victory. God allowed you to do this. Because you put your faith in God, Abram was blessed. He trusted in the Lord. Then we see the king of Sodom come to Abram. And he, I think this is more of a peace offering, really. He recognizes that Abram, he did what I could not do. 
Um, but I kind of need all, all my people back, right? He, he's not willing to, to argue for everything. He's, he's trying to split things half and half. Perhaps that's what's going on here. We see um, the king of Sodom, he, he says, you can have all of this stuff, but I need the people back. This is what Abram's response is in verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldst say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. So even in this moment of great victory, something that 10 cities could not do, Abram was able to do. This is, he's effectively conquered the land. He could take everything if he wanted to. But in this moment, Abram once again makes a selfless decision. He says, God is going to be the one who gives me the increase. Not the king of Sodom, especially. The, the very city that represents sin in this era. Who, <laughs> their lifespan, their life expectancy is pretty short from this story. He doesn't want the king of Sodom, to have some kind of threshold over him because he gave him all of these things. He wants all of the glory to go to God who gave him the increase. He's willing to put his faith completely in God. He's willing to trust in the Lord for everything and not earn from waging war against these other people and taking what was rightfully someone else's. Abram tells him, no, now let the guys who came with me, I, I want to honor them. They can take a portion. But as for me, no. God, God is gonna provide for me. I don't need anything. We just simply need to let, we, we came to free our people. We came back to get Lot. He's showing love to Lot, even though we really don't see Lot even say thank you. We don't see anything from Lot after this. We can assume that probably he did. But once again, Abram makes a selfless decision on the part of Lot, to try and help bring him back. All through this part of Abram's life, we see selflessness. All through this story. Abram returns from Egypt, he gets right with God. They separate. Lot's decision was very self-motivated. Abram's decision was very others-motivated. He wasn't worried about himself, he was gonna let God take control. It was a selfless decision. God comes and confirms his promise to Abram. Shortly after, all of Palestine goes to war. Then we see Lot being captured. Abram selflessly, once again, goes to rescue Lot. Melchizedek, king of Salem, blesses Abram, the king of Sodom. He offers for Abram to keep the spoils. And then a third time, Abram makes another selfless decision. He gives away those goods to the men who helped him instead of keeping them for himself. It's really no wonder why in the very next chapter, we see God come down and confirm the covenant physically. Like Pastor talked about two or three weeks ago, how God and Abram walked between the animals to symbolize their covenant in a physical way, a physical manifestation of the covenant. How from that point forward, we see incredible things come from the life of Abram. It is no wonder, because Abram now, he's exhibiting the kind of faith 
that would have really helped him last chapter. Now we see Abram being the man of faith that we hear about later on. Abram decides that it is more important to trust in the Lord rather than in himself. Lot made decisions that seemed to be very self-centered. He didn't trust in the Lord. He didn't do for Abram what Abram would do for him. And in the end, it cost him dearly. Yes, he was restored back to his city, but he probably lost most of his stuff. He might have lost some of his people in the process if any of them were scooped up in the war. We don't know. But it came at a high price. On the other hand, Abram made decisions that were very selfless. He fully trusted in the Lord regarding the land. He did for Lot what he would have wanted Lot to do for him. And in the end, he was blessed mightily because of these decisions. He had confirmation of God's promises, blessings from God through this priest king Melchizedek, and gratitude on behalf of pretty much everybody, every nation within Palestine. Everybody recognized that was Abram. He's the one who did this. There's something different about him. There's something special about him. Look at the difference between the outcomes for both of them. Take that back to our lives. Do we really want to be Lot? Where we see a scenario in our lives and our first response is, I've got this. I've got this under control. I, I, I recognize that this plan seems to make sense to me. My foresight, that's as far as I need to see, right? I don't need to trust in the Lord. I can lean on my own understanding. I, I've got this. I, I understand what's happening. I, I, I can handle this. I don't need to go to God. I'm not in trouble yet. Why do I need to go to God? Often without saying any of those things, that's the kind of decision that we make. We decide like Lot to think of ourselves, what's best for us. We don't consider other people at all. We make decisions that are very self-centered. Selfish, prideful decisions. But then we look at this story, we recognize that Lot, he had everything going for him. He was in the right place to make money, to be successful. He was in the right place to have food and, and to take care of his people. He was in the right place. How could that possibly be the wrong decision? Yet we see clearly it was. If Lot would have taken the time to seek God, to trust in the Lord, rather than trusting in himself, things probably would have been different. Maybe Lot would have found himself still in a decent place, but not right in Sodom. Notice, he's not outside of Sodom. He's in Sodom by the time this army arrives. A year, two years had passed, maybe, and he had already made it into the city. Sure, he was being successful. He was making money. He became a prominent citizen within Sodom, as we read about in a few chapters. But all of that self-centeredness left God completely in the dark. And there were going to be consequences because of that action, completely outside of his control. The same thing is true in our lives. If we make decisions in the same way that Lot does, if we're only focused on ourselves, we're only leaning on our own wisdom, then we're going to find ourselves in probably pretty similar situations. Hopefully nobody's coming and conquering any Casa Grande or anything like that. But we might find ourselves in financial situations that we wouldn't have been in. We might find ourselves in situations at work that we might not have been in if we had gone to the Lord in the first place. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. 
Abram is leaning on the Lord, trusting in the Lord. Put selfishness aside. It's our nature to be prideful. It's our nature to want what we want and to put anybody else to the side. That's our nature. But we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us. He can help us. First fruit of the Spirit is love. He can help us to show love just as Abram did, to do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. That's exactly what Abram is showing through each of these scenarios. We can do the same and in an even more powerful way because we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Abram did not have that. We do. God lives inside of us. If we are truly believers in him, he is there to help us show love, to help us trust in him. And I encourage you today, you will be tempted. You will be tempted to make the same type of decision that Lot has made here. You will be tempted with money or fame or prestige. You will be tempted to follow after your heart exclusively rather than trusting in the Lord. The Lord's not saying that any of those things are, well, the last part is wrong, but leaning, leaning on your heart's a bad idea. Don't listen to Disney. If, if you follow the Lord and it leads you to success and wealth and riches, well, praise the Lord. That's great. But if you're seeking after wealth and riches and you're not seeking after the Lord, you're wrong. That's where we see the difference between Lot and Abram. Abram is seeking after God. Lot, he's seeking after riches. Jesus tells us later on, you can't serve both God and mammon and money. You can't serve both. Money is the God of this world. How can we possibly serve money and God at the same time? We can't. Lot's decision leads him to disaster. Abram's decision, even though it seems like a disaster, it's not. That's God working in mysterious ways, working miracles in the life of Abram and providing for him in ways that otherwise would never have been done if Abram had not made these decisions out of faith to be selfless, to allow others to take that predominance in his life. And because of that, he's blessed. I encourage you today, don't be like Lot. Don't be selfish, self-centered, prideful, thinking only of what you can think of in your own wisdom. Instead, be selfless. Like Abram, trust in the Lord with all your heart and you'll find that it will be health to you. It will be better for you than leaning on yourself. Lord, we thank you today for these passages. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about him and as you study his word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.